Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I had a whole bunch of people send me this story, and the headline reads a little bit more harshly than the story itself does, but I think it's an interesting point. And once in a while, I think people in authority need to step back and look at how they appear as they do their jobs. So the story is out of Texas. Uh, Mike Rush wrote this for KXAN. Homeowner faces city fines after suspected intoxicated driver slams into house. So the guy's minding his own business in his own home, and his house gets hit by a car. It's pretty hard to blame that on the house. So the guy says that after that happened, he got a letter from the city code enforcement saying, your house is apparently in violation of uh, some ordinances, and you need to take care of that or start facing hefty fines. And now, like I said, there's a little more nuance to the story, but uh, the man who usually parks his own cars in his garage and driveway had a stranger park his car just a few feet away in the guest room of the house. (laughs) He said, it sounds like a plane hit the house. I mean, I felt like I hit the ceiling. The whole house just shook. It was January 19th, 2.30 in the morning. The man was upstairs sleeping when the car barreled into a spare bedroom right below where he was sleeping. Uh, The Honda made a mess of his spare room. He says, uh, looked like a tornado hit it. I mean, the entire room was just crunched. He said he tried to rescue the driver but couldn't get to him through the rubble. So emergency crews managed to get to him and pulled him out. Police arrested him, that is the driver, on suspicion of driving while intoxicated, according to an Austin Police Department report. Now, the man who lives in the home was not hurt, but his house was. So to add insult to injury, about 10 days later, he received a letter from the city for code violations because of the status of his house, and the letter was dated the day of the crash. That's one of the things that kind of makes us look bad. So the emergency responders show up at the house shortly after 2.30 in the morning, and later that same day, somebody from the city sends the man a letter saying, your house is in violation of some ordinances. <laughs> so the man says the letter calls out two different violations. One is for having an open hole in the house, and one is for having no window. Now, I'm not sure if those are the same violations. I suspect that where the car hit, it took out a window and put a hole in the wall next to the window kind of thing. Maybe a door wall or something or a walkout. Uh, The letter explained that the man had 30 days to get his house in order (laughs) or face consequences. And I'm simply laughing because getting your house in order is is often just a cliche. But here it's actually uh, apropos, as we say. Uh, And if he does not get his house in order within 30 days, uh, he could start getting fined $2,000 per day for the violations. So the man says, I'm in violation for being a victim. It felt tone deaf to me. Now, The Austin Fire Department admits they notified the Austin Code Department about the house. That's according to the division manager at the Code Department. He said the citation is the city's policy and procedure with the ultimate goal of ensuring safety. And nobody's questioning that these codes exist for a reason. It's simply the timing of it, okay? And uh, that man speaking there, who... um, is a division manager at Code Department, said this was a catastrophic incident and they wanted to ensure that the homeowners were safe and the building was safe. 
Violation notices, he said, are also issued after other catastrophic events, like fires. But with all violations, the city policy includes a chance for leeway with extra time given to come up with, uh, you know, getting your house up to code. If an extension is needed, we will give them that extension. We work with the owners or management. The question is, does it say that in the letter? Because the letter comes and just simply says, you're in violation, you've got 30 days, then it's $2,000 a day. That wouldn't be good. But if it did say, if you have trouble meeting this deadline or need an extension, please contact us. We'll work with you. I understand that you can't promise an extension or just say, hey, we'll let you take forever to get this fixed. But the question is, how does the letter read, not from the person's viewpoint who's sending it, but from the person who's receiving it? The man who owns the home made contact with the code inspector, who he said told him he could have extra time to make repairs. Even so, he said he's disappointed. Uh, he said that Austin is kind of going against me. It feels a little less like home every day. The man said the driver's insurance is paying for the repairs, which should be completed around the end of February. According to the Austin Code Department's annual report, in the fiscal year of 2022, the department investigated more than 28,000 code complaints, and 86% of them uh, were brought into voluntary compliance without any further problems. And the fact that the uh, driver's insurance is covering this, <laughs> talk about a no-brainer uh, with respect to who's at fault. Uh, it's similar to if you hit a parked car, but if you hit a parked house, it's even harder to explain that one away. Uh, of course, it raises all kinds of other issues, but the short, the short question, the short problem that we're looking at here is simply the letter that you get when your house has been damaged, and, and now it did say the letter arrived, I think, 10 days later, which is kind of strange that it took them that long to, after they composed and printed the letter, to actually put it in an envelope and get it out. But, um, you know, your house gets hit by a car, and then you get a letter from the city saying, oh, your house is no longer in compliance with our building codes. Uh, you will have to do something about that or, or face, you know, monstrous fines per day. Uh, does come across, as the man said, a little tone deaf. Now, I can tell you that the street that my family's house was on when I was growing up was down the street from a train station, a train station. And um, the train station went out of use when passenger uh, travel dropped on that specific set of train tracks. And for a while, there was an abandoned train station at the end of the street that my parents were on. And then someone came along and said, hey, I think I can turn that train station into a restaurant. So they turned the train station into a restaurant. And I remember when they were going through this process, the people buying or getting the right to use the train station, or they bought it or just rented it, uh, applied for a liquor license. and said, we want to be able to serve alcohol at our restaurant. And a few people in the neighborhood actually went and, and spoke at the uh, city council meeting, uh, city commission, I believe it was, uh, and was, we're talking about this. And then also I know that whenever the other thing with the liquor license came up, I know some of them were involved in that too. And I'm not sure where that hearing was held. But I'd heard from neighbors that said that they'd gone and complained and said, we do not want a bar at the end of our street, even though it's a restaurant. But you know what I'm saying. And the interesting thing is that people were saying, well, you know, it's good to repurpose that building into something, right? Of course it is. Uh, on the other hand, will there be a problem? Will there be a problem? with there being a, a restaurant serving alcohol at the end of the street. And people said, well, yeah, it's going to cause all kinds of problems because 
you could get there by taking fairly non-residential streets, but the obvious way was to come down the street that my parents lived on and come down that street and go in. In fact, I suspect if you were to use one of those directional things on your on your smartphone, it would probably send you down that street. And uh, over the next few years, I heard all kinds of stories, because I was not living there at the time, but I heard all kinds of stories about things that were happening uh, as a result of there being a bar at the end of the street, not the least of which was uh, people were doing stuff in cars parked on front lawns. Um, that, now, that's not a direct result of the of the liquor license. I understand that. But I can tell you that one day my brother <laughs> was sitting inside the house and he heard a very, very loud collision out front and his car had been parked out front legally and uh, somebody had hit it uh, going very, very fast. And I saw the marks that were put in the lawn uh, from my brother's car being pushed up onto and then across a portion of the lawn. Uh, and the weird thing is, and this is often the case, and I, I know this could very well be some kind of confirmation bias or uh, mixed with just you know us hearing things, but he said that he walked out there uh, when he heard the collision, as did many other people, and there was uh, a person slumped behind the wheel of the car, and their car was smashed into the back of my brother's car. And... Um, he walks up the window and the woman kind of like woke up and said, what happened? She's fine. She's fine. Destroyed my brother's car. Okay. Utterly just destroyed it. And now the impact, I don't know if anybody did the math on it, but I suspect she was speeding by how far she pushed my brother's car. Um, and it totaled my brother's car. And he, he actually got paid by an insurance company on that one. Um, and I have no idea if the woman got charged or what happened there. I suspect she probably was because I'm pretty certain that my brother called the police or somebody did because of the accident in the front yard. And so there it was simply somebody running into a parked car, okay, legally parked car. But we hear about this, people hitting houses and so on. And as I have mentioned before, I drove a tow truck in high school and I, on several occasions, did yank cars out of parked houses, <laughs> both houses and buildings. And I've told the story before about the one that was beached up on the front porch of a house and also one that ran into, probably similar to this one, but simply instead of the house, it was a building, but there's a window and a, and a brick wall. And the guy had, had run the car directly into the frame of the window at the base of that wall so the window was destroyed, and the wall was leaning forward over the car. And yes, when I yanked the car out, the, the wall fell on it. But people can manage to do all kinds of crazy things when they're behind the wheel intoxicated, and they should not be. And this is one of those things. But again, like I said, the real issue here is how does the letter read? Does the letter come across heavy-handed or not? This gentleman seems to think it did, and without having it in front of me, I'll have to agree with him on that because he's got the letter and I don't. But... Mike Rush wrote the story for KXAN. Joe, Mike, Larry, Tequila, and David all sent it. Thank you very much. Homeowner faces city fines after suspected intoxicated driver slams into his house. Questions or comments? Put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. We are all sentenced to solitary confinement inside our own skins for life.